been preaching a series of messages recently, especially for the sake of uh, the visitors that are here today that haven't been here the last several months. I was inspired some months ago to preach a series of messages from the book of Genesis. Um, the book of Genesis is, well, it's the first book of the Bible. It contains the history of the origin of uh, the earth and the universe and, of course, of mankind and animals, everything that we know about. Um, but besides that, there's a lot of principles that God established that are addressed in the book of Genesis. And uh, in the times in which we're living, probably never more time, never, never a time when we need to hear this foundational truth more than, more than now. Uh, with uh, the postmodern era of who needs God anyway. Um, and sometimes we hear that said out loud, but um, it's those overtones, those, um, what is the word I'm looking for? You, you kind of get that feeling. You kind of feel that, that vibe in our culture today of, of who really needs God. So uh, that's just a bit of a context for those of you that haven't been here. Uh, a little bit of review. Um, I should go. Let's see here. I gotta find. I gotta kind of set this up again because. Oh, there we go. We've been talking about principles, and I, I mentioned this several times, including a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, there we go. A principle is a comprehensive and fundamental law, doctrine, or assumption. I like this number two one the best as it relates to what we've been talking about here. A fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system of belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning. And number three, a rule of code or conduct. And the main premise that we were coming from is that a principle is a truth, or there isn't really a truth, there is only truth, but it's, it's we're going to call it that, so... I don't know how else to do it. A truth that cannot be changed. And um, we, we can live by the, God's principles or we can try to skirt around them. Um, but either way, there's either blessing or consequences depending which of those that we choose. We've been looking at uh, the first title. The first message was the revelation of the Godhead. Uh, number two, the creation of all things, the creation of man, man's place in God's world, marriage, and then today is going to be on the subject of sin. Um, not a subject that we enjoy talking about, but something that we deal with every single day of our lives. And we'll be talking this morning how, about how sin came to mankind. Um, last Sunday, Laverne had a message about the power of the blood, Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross. And Jesus' blood needed to be shed because of man's sin. And because of that sin as well, someday the death angel is going to come to your house. And it's going to be your last breath. If your house, not, 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 I'm sorry, not your house, if your life, if you are covered by that blood, 
that death angel will take you to heaven. And we talked about that in our lesson today. And if not, it's the other um, destination called hell, which we also talked about in our lesson, Sunday school lesson today. And so we want to be sure that we're covered by the blood. But the, the, the uh, topic, the subject today is the reason that we need the blood, talking about sin. And I've been, I've been using the book um, written by Aaron Lapp from Weavertown, Lancaster, called Creation Principles. And he, he, he writes about these creation principles here in Genesis, and I've been using specifically his, um, the principles he brings up in his book as kind of a, an outline for what I'm talking about. So we'll be doing that again this morning. And the first one we want to look at uh, this morning is the principle of temptation, and that, that's from the first six verses, which were just read. I'm going to read at least a few of these right now again. So the context of this happening was that Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, living there in a place where it was all the food they needed was provided. Um, God told them to care for the garden, but there, according to what we understand, there was no thorns, no thistles, none of these nasty weeds. By the way, did you notice that weeds are the only thing that survive in a drought? Um, wow, it's interesting. There was a, a man in our house the other week, and he was doing some spraying, and he said, he said, weeds don't need water. They keep right on growing. He was an expert in, in this, this field, uh, in the, the thing of you know, lawn care and all that. And he said, you know, there's, there's other things need water, but he said, weeds don't need water. They keep growing. Maybe at some point they would die, but you saw how dry it was the last few weeks, and the weeds... In our yards are the only thing that are still getting taller. Anyway, I digress there. I'll kind of sidetrack. So uh, we have this context where none of that was happening. And, and then Satan, through what's called a serpent here, we don't know for sure what this looked like, but um, some kind of a creature that we think was a lot more beautiful than a snake at that time, he came to them, Satan through this, this serpent, and he said this, Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And I want to point out that the King James, I think, is just a little vague here, uh, because it says, ye shall, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree, but I think it, really what he said is, did God tell you you man eat from any tree? So he Notice how he twisted things a little bit. What had God told them? You may eat of all the trees except for one. And he comes and says, did God tell you you man't eat of any tree? And the woman said unto the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so... He immediately took God's truth and twisted it. And he is a master at that. He does it to all of us today. He takes something that is true, twists it a little bit, and presents it to you as something for you to trip over. And so he said, did God tell you, man, eat of any of these trees? And I have to say, Eve wasn't very wise in how she responded. 
What do you think she should have said? I know you weren't studying this, so you don't know where I'm going with this. But what should Eve have said at that point? Okay, what did she say? She, she had the idea of every tree except one. Okay. So, so I think the, a better answer than what she gave would have been, no, that's not what God said. In other words, put that, that twisted version of this argument to rest, say, no, that isn't what God said, and then walked away. That would have been a better answer. But instead, she, she answered him back in a way that allowed his untruth to stand a little bit. It gave it a little bit of ground to stand on. And the, the subtle suggestion that, that Satan was actually giving was that God is a mean God. And you don't realize what he's causing you to miss out on. In the book, Aaron says this, quote, Insisting on the truth of God is the best defense against the lies and half-truths of Satan. Insisting on the truth of God is our best defense against the lies and half-truths of Satan. And, and so, you know, when the devil comes or a person comes, whatever it might be, with something that is a half-truth, the only way to really address that properly is head-on with the clear answer from the Bible. And there usually is one. But again, the, the way Eve answered allowed this conversation to continue in a way that that. Satan, what he was saying, began to take root in her mind and, and cause a doubt there. And I, I think it's a good reminder that when we have conversations about the Bible, about Bible principles, we need to be careful how we have those conversations. If we just have rational, intellectual conversations, take both sides of the coin of a controversial concept from the Bible, and you know, you're bringing out this side, I'm bringing out, and we just kind of have an intellectual argument, that doesn't end well. That's where doubt begins forming in our minds, and we say, I wonder if it really matters that much. And that's exactly what happened to Eve. She finally decided that the devil was right and God was wrong. Looking at her from our point of view, we don't get that. We don't understand. How, Eve, how could you be so blind? But it happens all the time, and it's how people, individuals, and churches can rationalize away Bible truth until, they're, until even moral, like clear moral issues are a non-issue anymore. They don't even matter. And there was a, again, from Aaron Lapp, he, he, he writes um, regularly in the Calvary Messenger, and this was from... Uh, I think the most recent, one of the most recent ones from the July um, issue. And he said this, it really caught my attention in the time we're living. I think this is really, really something for us to think about. And I think it relates to this. Just, just track with me here. In the last several years, I have observed, this is Aaron Lapp writing. 
I've observed a seeming increase of emphasis on the individual's need for understanding the doctrine and principles of the Bible. A preacher recently used the word understand 19 times in a 30-minute message. The subject was about salvation relative to our trials and stresses of life. A writer in a well-respected periodical used the words understand or understanding 27 times in a three-page article. His subject, a study on the theology of God. Another sermon recently used the word understand 43 times in a 43-minute message. Faith was all but absent in these cited cases and was not emphasized at all. There are more instances that could be mentioned. The Bible says faith is to be our primary response in regard to salvation, the recognition of God in all his attributes. I think what Aaron is suggesting, and he certainly, okay, he's, he's not suggesting we shouldn't try to understand the Bible. Aaron, of all people, would be one that has tried to understand it. He's kind of the intellectual type, and he's written all kinds of books. But his, his point is that we have pushed faith to the side to the point where understanding everything is more important than faith, and I think that is very true. I hadn't thought about it. I think it's a good word for us from an 80-some-year-old uh, preacher, retired preacher, for us to think about. In our day, understanding things has become the thing. Education, higher education, more education. Let's just learn everything we can, and then we'll be smart. Um, I'm all about learning. But if we're going to lose faith in this thing of learning, we're going to be in trouble. And we're living in a culture that is emphasizing understanding over faith. As I read this the other week, a lot of light bulbs went off in my head, and I, I, I was like, he is absolutely right. That's where we're at as a culture. And even in the churches, um, understanding and being smart and knowing how to articulate things and, and all that has become more important than faith in God's word and simply in a simple way in his plan, in plan of salvation. Number two, uh, by the way, number two, I'm going through, uh, there's, there's six things here that, that are addressed uh, in this portion of scripture that we're looking at in our text here from Genesis 3 this morning. And the first one was the question, and I'm sorry I failed to put it up there, but Satan came with a question, and that's what we were just talking about. And, and then number two, he, he brought a lie. And as I already said, Satan is the master of half-truths. He is absolutely clever at mixing just enough or just little enough falsehood into his things that he brings to you that we don't recognize them sometimes. And he doesn't care if you believe some truth. He doesn't mind that at all, as long as he's able to bring to you some lies and mix that in there. And so, interestingly enough here, and I'm not sure what to think of this, but, but Eve said to the devil, to Satan, that we may not only, not only may we not eat this fruit, we may not even touch it. And it doesn't say anywhere that God said that, so I'm not sure um, 
if she was kind of adding to the story or if God had said something that wasn't recorded, but the Bible doesn't say that. <clears throat> so let, let's remember that, that the devil is a master at lies and he will bring them to us and, and, and just, a, just a small amount of it in with the, with, the, with the truth that he tries to, to sneak or he tries to sneak untruth in with the truth he brings to us. He's not going to bring to you an outright lie because you will recognize it too quickly. <clears throat> in my study, I, I was reminded of, of this song that the Stolzfus family sings. Uh, they've been here several times, sang in the area. And I'm just going to read this real quickly here. Um, it, it just fits so well into the things that I was thinking about this. This is what it says. What has happened to a nation that used to fear the Lord? to a people whose foundation was built upon God's word. We've allowed the world's opinions to chart a different way, but it's time the church of Jesus Christ should stand, should boldly stand and say, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. Second verse, they can take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools, teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden rule, try to hide our Christian heritage from the public eye, but they'll never overcome God's word no matter how they try. It's forever settled to evermore endure. It's the only way a sinner's heart can ever be made pure. God's word will stand. And in the chorus again, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell. With power to prevail in the hearts of men, God's word will stand. But again, as I said a bit earlier, we need to bring the pure truth in the Bible right into these discussions and these um, tricky conversations and not allow half-truth to derail us and bring us doubt. The third one, that, the third thing that he brought to them was a false promise. Um, he told them in verse 5, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now there's a certain part of this that was true. Their eyes were opened in a, in a bad way. And they did learn good and evil, but it wasn't in the sense that he was suggesting. He was suggesting it was going to be a better experience, but it wasn't. It wasn't. We'll talk about that in a minute. And so he brought a false promise of what they would experience. And how many of you have not at, well, not only a few times, but probably many times, thought about something that is wrong to do, that you, would, you think you would enjoy doing, that maybe would really bring a lot of fun and pleasure to your life. But it doesn't. It's a false promise. <clears throat> Satan frames God's warnings to us as something that harm us and instead suggests that his idea would bring us a lot more fun and a lot more of a good life. 
Notice that Satan really didn't say their life was going to be better. Or that they would be happier. He just said, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God's. And that sounded pretty good to them. The fourth one was, sorry, I missed one here. The deception. Satan likes to take controversial things in the church and cause Christians to stumble. To give it all up because of the trouble and the struggle and maybe sometimes the disagreements, whatever it might be. He loves to, to, to get us to, the old saying, just throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. The bathwater is yucky, so the baby goes out too. And let's not do that. He loves, us to get, he loves to get us to give up on actual holy ways of living, ways that are solid for our lives because maybe we're irritated by the controversy, whatever it might be. And so he gets us to give up specific Right ways of living. Because of details, sometimes we trip over them. He loves to do that. He'll take anything he can. He'll, he'll say, oh, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Or, you know, my church, the preacher doesn't preach right. Or whatever it might be, on and on it goes. And then number five, the consequence. And this is what Aaron Lapp had to say about this um, after Adam and Eve took the fruit, were they better off? Tell me what happened. Just your own version. What happened to them? How did they feel? What, what was the result? Fear. Fear. Shame. Uh, you said, yeah. <laughs> um, so Aaron Lapp says it like this. Instead of them being wiser and happier... This resulted instead into going lower, much lower, much, much, much lower, irresponsibly lower, irretrievably lower, irreconcilably lower. I think that's his way of saying it was not a good thing. It was a downward spiral. It was not, it was not a um, promotion to something better like the devil um, had promised. And can you imagine... After that happened, they took that fruit, and suddenly their, this fear and shame came on them. Satan's work was done, and I picture him at that point just kind of quietly walking away, and as he went into the distance, laughing hilariously. I got him. I tricked him. And now... They no longer act like God. God's beautiful plan was completely ruined. And the truth of the matter was, with that one act of disobedience, they had totally destroyed what God had given them. And the lives of hundreds of generations to come, we now have the experience that we have in our lives. We're tired. We get sick. We have to work too hard. We have stress. We have depression. We have relationship problems. 
and moral issues and on and on and on it goes. And their, their open relationship that they had with God where they just constantly enjoyed him, they were now terrified. It was one of shame. They were banished from the garden. They had to work hard and sweat and actually till the ground instead of just picking the fruit. Their marriage suddenly turned into to the game, blame game. One of their sons became a killer. He killed his brother. That was the consequence. One last one on, on this principle here, false justification. What is the most natural response when we're caught doing something wrong? I just talked about it. I just kind of ran right past it. What do we do? It was because of so-and-so. We blame another person. And when I stop and think about how much we do this, it's almost incredible how far we will go to try to pin the blame on other people. After we have to take the responsibility, we finally will. But if there's some kind of other escape, there's someone else to blame or something else to pin it on, we will do that as long as we can. And we see it here. We, we can be totally 100% wrong, and we'll try to justify it. After all, we did it already, so we've got to find some way of, of giving a reason why we did that. <clears throat> and so Adam blamed his wife, and the wife blamed the devil. Let's move on to the next principle. <clears throat> the principle of sin. That was um, <clears throat> the principle of temptation, and we'll, we'll look at the principle of sin, and we're going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to uh, kind of condense things. I knew I had more than, more than I should for this morning. <clears throat> Same verse as Genesis 3, 1 to 6. <clears throat> I'm going to look at, just quickly look at six things that <clears throat> by which we ways that we sin. Sin by weakness, which simply what, what this means is we are a weak Christian because we don't worry about the diet that we have. We don't read the Bible. <clears throat> We're not concerned about that. It's not that important to us. We're too busy. After all, who has time to read the Bible? Another one, sin by ignorance. If I just don't worry about it and I don't try to figure out what's really true, then it can't hurt me, right? How can it hurt me if I don't really know? We just kind of, kind of pretend innocence doesn't work. Sin by partial knowledge. You know, there's many Bible teachers that, whether they're innocent or not, some may be innocent, some may be intentionally, who teach only parts of the Bible. I don't know which part of the Bible to take out because if I take out part of it, I'm not sure what, which of the rest is going to be true. Uh, we have to believe all of it. Sin by faulty interpretation. And there's, there's something like, like generalizing and allegorizing the Bible to the point where it doesn't really mean anything. And what I mean by that is, is there's many Bible teachers today who say, yeah, this is what it says here, but... But it's, it's just a spiritual meaning. It's all what happens in my heart. It, it doesn't really 
doesn't really impact what I do. It's just something that I need to believe in, and I'm good. Um, different ways we can, we can just explain away the Bible. But that will not be without consequence. The Bible isn't just an allegory. There's things in the Bible that are. But by and large, it's meant to be taken as just as it's written. And uh, we, we teach principles. That's what I'm doing here in this series. But each principle needs to have some way that we actually live that principle out every day, or the principle doesn't mean anything. We sin by presumption, which is basically the thought that I know, I know that I'm doing the wrong thing, but I'm just going to hope for God's grace. I'm stepping over his lines, but I'm hoping he looks the other way. And then by perversion, which is, I don't even care what God says. I'm going to do what I want. And it's none of your business. <clears throat> and Romans 1 talks about people who, who continue living that way, and eventually they literally live like beasts. Principle of guilt. It says in verse 7, The eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves apron. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. There's three things Adam says here that are really sad. Because only moments before, this wasn't true. This wasn't an issue. This was no problem. But he said, I heard your voice. And God's voice suddenly was a terrifying voice. And then he said, I was naked. I, I, suddenly I realized that I'm uncovered. He hadn't noticed that before. And then he says, I hid myself. And these are words, all these are words of disgrace because it meant that suddenly their innocence before God because of their sin was gone. And suddenly they, were, they realized how wicked they were. Think about how much Adam and Eve changed in just moments. Absolutely nothing to worry about. From what we can tell, they had zero problems getting along. Loved talking to God, and suddenly they were terrified of God. They were guilty. They knew they had done wrong. They tried to hide. <clears throat> So as far as Adam was concerned, he was going to find a, a, way to, a way to share this flame. He wasn't going to take it all himself. And so he said, well, God, the wife you gave me. And then she said the devil and so forth. So it was th three ways they tried to, three places to put the blame. <clears throat> the Bible says in Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. I know it's warm today. Maybe we should stand a little bit. Let's stand. I'm sure it's partly my fault, but 
I don't think all of it is. There's a lot of you that are struggling with your eyes going shut. So, <laughs> all right. The the um, the last one here yet is the principle of conviction. I'll just have you stand for a few minutes. Genesis three nine. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And I, he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? How did you suddenly discover this, Adam? How did you know you were guilty? What happened? You were fine before. And then he said, did you eat of the tree? Is that what happened? And then, of course, the blame. <clears throat> Aaron Lapp says it this way, the prohibition or the, the outlawing of the eating the tree was a test of accepting themselves as they were designed by God. And I know that's it's pretty basic there, but the idea is that it's this is how God made it. Am I going to be good with that? Where are you with that? Are you good with how God made you, and are you good with the circumstances in which you find yourself? Or is the devil tempting you to want something different or something more? You know, they had no desire for anything different until the devil came to them and introduced this idea that, you know what, you, you might be missing out on something. And the way that he presented it looked really, really good. <clears throat> you may be seated. We're going to wrap it up here. Just a few thoughts yet. This is, again, uh, some of Aaron Lapp's thoughts here, and I thought this was interesting. This is obviously not comprehensive, but, but he, he said that God was coming to them with some counseling. I just thought that was a unique perspective. I had never heard that before, but he said, he said, from this story, we can find four questions to ask when we're counseling someone who's struggling. And I thought this was interesting. Again, this won't, this won't fit with modern psychology at all. And I'm not against trying to learn some things about human behavior. That's not my point here. But it won't fit with what we're hearing a lot today. I'm just going to warn you of that. It's, it's kind of back to the Bible here. So he says, the first question is, where are you in relation to God is the question. What, where, how do you stand with God? The second one is, who told you to think the way you're thinking? Who told you? Was it God? Is it something from the Bible? Is it something you came up with on your own? Or is someone else telling you something? And then the third question is, have you violated the commandment of God? And, and his suggestion there is, again, just take the Bible. The Bible has the truth. Take the person to the, the answer that God has. And then the fourth one is, what have you done? And one of the problems with some of the counseling that is done today is the question is more focused on what have others done to you. Now, that also needs to be asked. I think that's a good question as well. But that won't solve the problem. And I think that's Aaron's point here. 
only we between us and God can really solve. And again, this is very simplistic. This is not to be a comprehensive guide to counseling. But I felt like this was worth, worth mentioning this morning. Very basic. Where are you? Where do you stand with God? Number two, who told you to think the way you're thinking? Number three, have you violated a command of God? And that's a valid question regardless what has been done to us. Often in response to what has been done to us, we then violate one of God's principles in reaction to that. And number four, what have you done? <clears throat> Again, many times when we're, when we're confronted with our own issues, we want to talk about what happened, where it happened, who did it, why it happened. And, and this is what Aaron says. And, and I think the point was that this is what he was trying to do for Adam and Eve with these questions. He said, the goal of counseling is to bring about confession followed by repentance. It doesn't mean the rest of the story is not important, but I thought that was interesting. It doesn't fit very well with what I'm hearing today at all. And, and my point and, and all, of, all of this message here, um, well, the point was to bring you principles from Genesis, but one of the things that, that have come through so clearly is, is that we are taking what God has said in his word and often are just twisting it a couple degrees and offering it as truth. When a ship is at sea, how often do they set their course on a thousand mile trip? It's not the answer I'm looking for. I'm not exactly sure how modern stuff happens, but actually, even in an, even in an airplane, even in a, in a jetliner, a, a um, commercial jetliner that you might fly in, they don't set their course only once, sorry. Um, <laughs> they correct many, many, many times. Why is that? Why don't they just take off? And head for the right place and leave it at that. That's because we live in a fallen world and are a fallen people. We need to constantly be resetting. Yeah, you're, you're preaching the rest of the message. I'm not done with the airplane and the ship yet, but that's exactly right. <laughs> because if you're off a few degrees, what happens after the thousand mile journey is over? You are reach your destination you're far off you weren't far off at first but if it's if it's not constantly corrected um so what was my point in all of that that when we take truth and we just turn it a few degrees right now it might be fine we're not so far off but eventually it becomes further and further and further away from what this says and so what this whole series really is I guess is a call to get back to the Bible let's kneel for prayer
God, we thank you this morning for your love to us. Um, God, the fact that you created us and then with the sin that Adam and Eve committed and all that has come from that, the much sin and conflict and turmoil, you have offered us Jesus' blood and you've offered us your word and the principles of it so that we can find our way back. And we are so grateful for that. That the only option we have is not to just live however we please or to live blindly, but that we have a compass that if we follow it constantly will take us to the destination that we long to go to. We're grateful for that. Thank you for your mercy and for your grace, God, as we look at Adam and Eve and all the things they did, we see ourselves in them so much over and over again. We realize we're made of the same dust and we also have the same bent to do wrong things. But I thank you that you have mercy with us, that you allow us to have not only a second chance, but a third and a fourth and many times over. You allow us to find our way back to the exact course you want us to be on. Help us to take your word and to believe every bit of it wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, amen.